Hello and welcome to Global Digital Futures Podcast, brought to you by the SOAS Coding Club. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and you're listening to SOAS Radio. This week, we have two guests in the studio talking about queering the internet, LGBTQ plus representation online. Following the repealing of Section 377 in India, a law which gives hope for LGBT communities by making homophobia illegal, in this episode, we explore the realities and how queer identity can exist online. Maya Suresh is a lecturer in law at SOAS. In 2016, he was awarded a PhD from Birkbeck for his thesis titled Terrorists, Lives in Delhi's Courts, an ethnography of legal worlds of terrorism trials. Before his doctoral studies, Mayo practiced law in Delhi, where he and his colleagues represented a wide variety of clients. Mayo was also part of the legal team in the NAS Foundation case that successfully challenged India's anti-homosexuality law in the Delhi High Court, and he defended the judgment in the Supreme Court. Mayer has co-edited a volume on the politics of the Indian Supreme Court titled The Shifting Scales of Justice, The Supreme Court in Neoliberal India in 2014. He is currently completing a book manuscript based on his doctoral research. Tabitha Millett researches in the areas of queer theory and art education at UCL. Tabitha's PhD research focuses on developing and troubling the curriculum at GCSE by exploring gender and sexuality in the art classroom. Tabitha has taught art and design in a number of London schools and continues to develop her own artistic practice, working with the themes of gender and sexuality. Tabitha has held exhibitions in London, Oxford and Cambridge, and in addition, she was awarded the Spirit of Soho Award for her artwork and the Charles Fox Prize at Cambridge for her research. So, Tabitha, we've had a lot of chats and discussions about arguments around queer theory. So, could you give us an overview of what queer identity means today and what are some of the most prescient arguments surrounding the discussion? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's a really good question to start off with. I think that just even like queer identity, it's sort of uh, an antithesis. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, they don't make sense. Like if we're looking at queer in like the truest sense, it's a non-identity movement. So I think we need to question what is queer yeah. now. The queer theory has many different theories, but sort of a, the populist notion, I guess, yeah. today, it, it's still very identity. Identity uh, focused. Yeah. Um, I think that, as Judith Butler says, it's a necessary error. Identity. We have to communicate, right? And we we do that within language, and we you, we describe our worlds around us. So um, that's why. Um, and the more you speak of things, the more people become them. Yeah. Um, but I think that for me, the way the queer movement has it's, it's so focused now. I think on identity politics and I think we need to question what we actually what is queer about the queer movement and I see queer as non-normative and it doesn't necessarily have I don't think it has to do really with identity necessarily um, it's just about breaking frames you know breaking ways of being well sometimes I think identity is also formed by realizing your difference from the norm mm-hmm. so perhaps it's stemming out of that as well yeah yeah then you kind of it's ontological in a way it's like well what is the norm you know and then you, you kind of break up what is the norm in the west what is the norm yeah. in the city yeah. you know it's yeah. kind of but no I, I agree there's always that kind of push and pull but if we say the norm is a heterosexual white family in, yeah. in the west 
um, I think that through breaking that dynamic, you're again going to recreate another norm. I mean, that's what we have, I think, now within queer populist, yeah, stuff. <laughs> um, Great, yeah, very interesting start. And Mayor, could you give us some context on LGBTQ communities in India? We've had the sort of theoretical view of what queer theory is. What's the reality, let's say, in India? Maybe thinking about through history as well, Section 377 was a colonial law, mm-hmm. and that's quite interesting. Yeah. So kind of just piggybacking on what um, Tabitha said, it was, I think, historically at least, or even in the present day, mm-hmm. you'll see kind of a proliferation of different types of identities. You'll be, so, for example, there will be people who, in Bangalore, where I'm from, for example, there will be people from lower classes who will identify as something called um, Apanti. Apanti is usually a married man who has a man on the side, and they us- and this is how they define. They define themselves as masculine, but not necessarily gay. Hijra is another example that people always bring up is in terms of third gender. But even there, there's a big diversity in how Hijra communities see themselves. Some are very, very vocal on the fact that they, they identify as women. They want to claim the status as a woman. There's a person who recently completed the PhD at SOAS. Um, I think her name is Jenny. She talked about uh, this traditional trans community in Central India called Kinnas, who vehemently say they are Kinnar. They're nothing. They're not man. They're not women. They're not Hijra, but they're Kinnar. And I think it really depends on kind of the the local ways in which identity kind of manifests and what it's always responding to something else. So even, for example, like, because uh, I used to do a lot of domestic violence work um, in Bangalore when I used to work there. And so the wives, are, so the, there's the Panthi who has the man on the side and the, and who's also married. But the man on the side will be someone called a Koti. The Kotis often will be also be married. And often we kind of interact with the Koti's wives as well. And they would say, no, we love being married to him. He doesn't beat us up, whereas this other person beats us up. So there's different ways in which these identities kind of unfold in ways that you don't expect them to. Mm-hmm. In a sense, these kind of the gay or lesbian identities is very recent. It's like probably from the 70s, 80s. I'm sure you could tra- track it back to that mm-hmm. time um, with the proliferation of English language media in, in India in the sense of you could have independent um, newspapers, for example, in the 70s and 80s, which wasn't, which I don't think was possible before that, but I could be wrong on that. But is, Sorry, just yeah? to jump in, mm-hmm. but isn't that a, a really, you know, to say, isn't that a really Western perspective mm-hmm. to label these people as lesbian, mm-hmm. gay, trans mm-hmm. even? Like, I always think that there's a, you know, you've got your own names the same in Zimbabwe right you've got the your own names mm-hmm. your own ways that isn't necessarily a western gay identity and it, it, I just find that it's so disjointed I mean I think we as the west try and like go over to these different countries and say well well they, these are trans people here and this mm-hmm. and they call themselves you know it, that mm-hmm. kind of we put that lens on the, those countries yeah uh, it's a debate that I'm yeah. constantly having with other, other people if you look for kind of the, the maybe historical and geographical origin of certain identities you could potentially tra- trace them back to the west right and say that okay this has been in, this is uh, this is coming from here mm-hmm. but I think culture is more fluid than that and I think the ways in which cultural ideas travel mm-hmm. um, so you will have hijras who proudly claim the thing of trans at the same time you will see people who don't um, but is that because they're using that language because mm-hmm. it's sort of globalization yeah. I mean, Maybe, yeah. but it's not necessarily in position. That's my point. Yeah, they are using it because they're they're aware that mm-hmm. the people I know obviously are in urban places. I don't know many people in rural places. They're they're part of the activist network, so they're kind of enmeshed in that thing. But it's not. I'd be more circumspect about calling it a form of imposition or kind of the Western gaze. It is a gaze. Mm-hmm. It is a gaze that you're putting on yourself. You're kind of performing yourself in different ways for different. And and there are different ways. Of the, for example, a Western trans person won't comprehend kind of the kinship structures that are Im- implicit in. 
South Asian trans cultures, kind of the hierarchies of obedience, the hierarchies of w- the ways in which you kind of look to your elders, for example, is not something that's comprehensible to ev- anyone outside of that context. But at the same time, I think just, I mean, as Judith Butler said, <laughs> um, it's all about performance. And I think the, um, different identities are performed in different ways at different points of time. But I don't think it's necessarily an imposition. So it can be a s- source of strength in yeah, ways. Absolutely. That, and they can yeah. give it or leave it or take it, you know. Yeah. Gay rights is, is a short headline, but yeah. it's it's not, it doesn't encompass the yeah. diverse thing of what's happening. Or LGBT rights is a short headline, but it doesn't tell us what's actually happening on the ground or doesn't tell us the ways in which things are happening. But it's a good language to use. Yeah. When it's, LGBT rights is a great language to use when you're responding to the state. Yeah. Or when you're responding to state violence, or when you're responding, to, you're trying to portray yourself in international affairs. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, for example, it doesn't efface what's happening. It, obviously, there's a back and forth and there's kind of ebbs and flows of things, but I don't think it effaces what's happening in communities necessarily. Mm. And what is happening in communities? That's a big question. Uh, what, what I sense is, so for example, I think what might be happening in traditional quote-unquote mm. communities is that, and again, this is all from second-hand knowledge. It's not from first-hand. I haven't done field work. I haven't been in that space for a long mm. time. What I'm, what, what I'm guessing is that traditional kinship structures are kind of breaking down. So for example, if you read Gayathri Reddy's book on hijras in Hyderabad, she kind of portrays this whole kinship structure, family, familial structure of a hijra household. My sense is in that in Bangalore at least it's it's somewhat falling apart because of not just because of there's obviously state violence there's obviously kind of gentrification of, of different areas in Bangalore but also I think it's just because of greater mobilization there are different ways of entering quote unquote queer life without being members of, of a kind of that, that family but there are different spaces opening up in at least urban India again primarily male spaces but yeah it, it's it's messy <laughs> and not necessarily a bad way but it's just messy and what about some online spaces mm-hmm. or the sort of how these identities are being performed online? Also considering that the majority of internet users and mobile phone users in India are male. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the more I hear about what's happening online in India, that you get the sense of it's it's definitely um, thriving. If you look at kind of the history of, I think, media in India up till the 80s, it was definitely media as a source of national good. It was good to build a nation. I think from the 80s, onwards you kind of see a dispersal of the media technology whether it's VHS or video with the internet and now mobile phones and I think kind of the implications of that are different so for example with with old media you think okay we're kind of building a nation we're kind of building a certain type of community for ourselves and now it's more difficult to figure out what's happening I mean if you just look at WhatsApp groups in India and Google WhatsApp in India you'll find like many stories about how WhatsApp has led to lynchings right or stuff like that on the other side you will have what's I'm on lots of WhatsApp gay WhatsApp Group, or LGBT rights WhatsApp groups in India um, and there's a big discussion on what's happening it's helped mobilize kind of different communities from around at least activist communities from around the country which was, wasn't possible in the past so in the past for example if you have to do a national strategy meeting it involved months of planning right you have to say okay everyone come here and then the issue would be, then be how do we raise funding for communities that can't come to Delhi because that, that's where all the meetings used to happen then so that, that, there used to be all the discussion about physicality of it I guess what the good and bad thing of kind of the digital world is that it's at least and as far as activism goes it, it makes meeting physically less necessary which is a good and bad thing I think so I'm interested to know about the shaping of identities as well online uh-huh. but I'll ask Tabitha um, first just you know in a more theoretical framework what queer identities online means and we had a discussion about the probably very transgressive space in the yeah. sense of queer can you talk more about that yeah well, I don't know if I explained it properly earlier but what I meant is that 
there's a populist discourse of queer, and that I still think is lumped with LGBT. Okay. And the more maybe theoretical side of what queer the queer movement meant to be was this transgressive movement that was anti-identity. Now we have a populist discourse of queer, and that is is everyone. You know, it's like an umbrella term for LGBTQI and all the other identities that have propped up. Propped up. Yeah. I mean, what what I would say is that there's been a lot of media like hysteria, being like, there's sixty two different genders, you know, uh, through the internet and through communication globally, there have been a creation of new, I guess, new identities, new languages. But I wouldn't say that was queer. I think that's LGBT. That's very identity identity focused. It's like I am this, and this this is what this looks like, and I'm going to fight for these rights. Which I wouldn't say that was queer. Yeah. When we had a conversation, I was saying, well, what could a queer space look like online? And it would have to be very transgressive. It would be something like the dark web it would be those you're, you're pushing boundaries of being really um, into new I guess ontological ways of being new spaces um, and that I think that the dark web has that and it, it's not necessarily a good thing it's I don't think queer from how I read queer is, is it doesn't have to it's not good or bad it's about pushing yeah. something and and seeing how far I guess we can go so I, I that's that's why I find queer quite exciting because it has that energy and it has that uh, energy to really go wrong as well which I sort of like too it's it's interesting yeah. but yeah I, that's how I kind of see these two so I see the LGBT QIA online which is which is good in in ways it's given a lot of people courage um, and then I see sort of well, what the queer online yeah, yeah. which is the the darker side I think that's how I would see them like, yeah. what's at stake in defining what queer is why is it important to say that something is queer or not queer or not queer enough to be queer so what's at stake in that I mean, distinction it's hard isn't it because it, it shouldn't be defined really as a term mm-hmm. that's the whole idea and it has this sort of slippery nature to it but what's at stake if you say well this is a queer object mm-hmm. then it has it's it's going against the whole idea of what queer was supposed to do which was to keep it going to keep it pushing to keep it you know not static in a sense as, as a set of theories like an ongoing flow again a debate I have all the time with people yeah. is that isn't that isn't that what what life is in a sense because <laughs> it's not as if we anyone takes an identity and is static with it for their lives whether they say it or not the identity changes the way mm-hmm. they perceive the world changes queer people often the whole idea of passing right in the past where you you said okay I'm straight and for this period for this purpose but I'm yeah. actually gay in this purpose right and yeah. you're constantly performing different identities and that changes as well I mean my hesitation with kind of going down the it's kind of it becomes competitive in a certain sense like what is queer enough is it actually queer when in a sense what everyday life is in a sense is, is queer like for example is an intercaste or interracial couple queer or is it only a person who who violates gender boundaries or something who, mm-hmm. who basically dress cross dresses or something is that queer enough um, there was this debate um, internally with uh, regard to trans people in India of what counts as a trans person and I think I mean it was a it was a it was it's a, it became a, um, a really petty debate in a certain sense because where you is post-op pre-op self-identified are you still discovering um, and, and might go back to the point of your saying of that it's a matter of identity politics that people have a kind of box themselves in identity and kind of trying to make themselves more identity but it also goes to the fact I think that in trying to def- determine what's queer you're always something something's never queer enough I agree yeah. with you I yeah. think there isn't like a a, a rating yeah, yeah. not to <laughs> on what is queer or what is queer 
Um, but all I think, it, but then I come back to queer being localized mm-hmm. and queer being able to trouble your or your localized version of your own frame in a sense. It's it's in the moments as well. Um, this, I mean, this is these are my readings yeah. of queer, I've, yeah. and the beauty I see of queer theory is that it has many readings. But I would say it's breaking the frame. It's troubling frames, even if those frames are localized to to mm-hmm. you, you know, and and your situation. Yeah. That's how I would yeah. see it. So someone I don't know in the West Country of of England might see two men walking along the street as it breaks their frame. I mean, actually, that's a really bad idea because it's so globalized now mm-hmm. that idea. But I'm, t- I'm trying to think of something mm-hmm. that could trouble their localized frame, I guess. Yeah. Whereas it, you know, you bring that to London and it's it's nothing mm-hmm. to a Londoner. So it, it's 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 more localized, I think. That's okay. how I would say. On that note, or on that uh, track of thinking, Maya, online in India, I think something that's quite interesting with um, LGBT identity online is perhaps a danger of commodification or how that identity is, how it's owned by maybe society and then... We were, we were saying that, because Chipo and I were... Sorry, I didn't mm-hmm. mean to go. No, 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 carry on. We, we were saying um, that there's a danger in identity politics mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, and it is to do with things like commodification, yes. capitalism, like the more individualistic yeah. you are, uh, individualism, um, the more you can uh, sell someone, you mm-hmm. know, and it's and the more identities there are, the more money there is to yeah. be made. That's yeah. But yeah. is that even something that is a consideration in India? Or, I mean, because this, let's say, this law, it's so new, right? Um, or the repealing of the yeah. law, it's so recent that are, is this this? Are, do you have the same considerations around that? Do you even have the freedom yet to be displaying LGBT identity freely online? No, like I mean on your Facebook page or yeah, in big cities that it's contested. Like I'll, I'll say this: in big cities, in certain spaces, you can be as like global gay as you want to be, and that <laughs> there is, for example, in Delhi, there are hotels where there are like it's just and there are very posh hotels, very elite hotels, and there there are just they're just like you know mainstream gay. And so, I mean, if you're looking for markers of gay culture, and I mean, and I mean gay culture, there are clubs there are saunas um, in different parts of India and is uh, it is it like uh, mainstream but, online as well yeah yeah online like mm-hmm. the big newspapers English language newspapers are all like pretty pro LGBT rights mm-hmm. um, the, I, I would say the, however on the flip side the, okay in terms of the com- commodification thing there's always a debate in the de- every year in the Delhi Gay Pride um, list there's always a, uh, always a debate on whether we should accept corporate sponsorship or not or should corporate companies be allowed to come with their banners uh, and this extends to the online as well, world as well how should we brand gay pride is and that's a debate every year and every year the people who are organized gay pride now basically say no no corporate sponsorship I think the flip side of identity is the violence issue it's not so much a dan- the corporate corporatization and the commodification identity is one issue but I think the, the main danger that extends both online and offline is the the kind of extreme violence that people are visited with if they identify in certain ways mm-hmm. um, whether it's through hookup sites or people knowing about your identity through WhatsApp or Facebook that's the issue it's I mean the the commodification is not so much of a concern but it's the violence yeah so that fear of violence or the potential mm-hmm. of violence it hasn't been enough to I mean you, you said that there is a sense of freedom and you can be as gay as you or you can display yeah. as freely as you want is there not a fear that's caused like maybe self-censorship or I mean people live contradictory lives right so as do cities right so there are places in which you can you can go to a sauna in a particular part in Delhi or you can go to a club in a particular part of Delhi and be fine over there. I don't. I don't 
see men or women making out in public in Delhi yet, but maybe. So isn't there? Ah, that is fear? a censorship. Yeah. yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I know people who've been blackmailed, who've been beaten up, um, because of stuff they've posted online and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, they've gone off offline for a while. They've come back online. I think online, at least for both the perpetrators of violence and the people who are the victims of violence, it provides certain degree of anonymity and mobility, which you don't get in the physical world. Mm-hmm. But I think it's when the when the two kind of meet, when the online goes offline, is where. Uh, into the real world is where you have the potential for violence. And what digital spaces or platforms are open for LGBT communities? Are there any local ones that have been developed? Um, there's a very good resource website called orinam.net. Um, it's based out of Madras in South India, or Chennai, now called. There are there are different websites in different parts of the country that kind of do either, you know, from everything to announcing parties to saying, um, here, we're this is the HIV AIDS meetup group for the city in this time. And there have been, for example, Gay Bombay has been active for a very long time. Where I'm from in Bangalore, there's a, there's a group called Good Is You, which started, remember, in the 80s sometime. But they also have an online presence. It's not a, it's on Facebook primarily. So it's, yeah, there are several ones. I mean, there are the, the usual hookup sites, but there are local platforms. Orinam is, is one of the few ones which has a bilingual one. And there are one or two Hindi ones. I can't, I'm sure there are ones in different languages that I just don't know about. But again, most of the online world is kind of focused towards English speaking mm-hmm. though I think that's changing more and more as more more people become get access to internet and also learn how to like write online in their in lang- different languages and I'm just quite interested in when you started to see the emergence of these platforms online actually was there a period did something happen to ignite that period so I think it's the first that I know of LGBT newsletter started in the late 70s or early 80s Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that happened because of the liberalized newspaper rules in India. Or people started get, getting access to, for example, the copy machines and printers. Um, and so people would kind of staple their own thing together and send it out to different mm-hmm. around the country. And I think that kind of just traveled with the internet. Um, when the internet came in the early 90s, this is when you started getting like Indian websites and on Indian websites, people often create their own spaces. For example, um, this website called India Times was a news newsroom, everything it used to have announcement for different stuff. But then there should be a chat room on it, and people used to create male to male chat rooms or like men, women to women chat rooms. Yeah. And it was kind of almost like there are these spaces online, and initially they had to just create them for themselves through the mechanism provided. And I think now, with more people getting, I don't know what it is, tech savvy, or more people getting into coding and being able to create content for themselves rather than piggyback off other platforms. Is. Do you see any, are the only dangers to representation and online visibility just mostly the personal safety? Are there any other dangers that you might see, either of you? It's sort of what we said before, really, with commodification, mm-hmm. but um, capitalism having a, a big, you know, it, it, the pink pound. And again, it comes back to this question, like, what, what where do we see LGBT rights going, mm-hmm. I think? Yeah. Where do you see them going? What do you think the future um, holds? For LGBT rights in the UK, mm-hmm. I, th- I actually think they need to think about commodification mm-hmm. um, a lot more yeah. um, so and it, it does it's starting to happen at Pride and I think it was two years ago they were having a there were some people that 
held up the death of Pride and, yeah. and like a coffin because it became so, you know, set, uh, advert centred. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of fight back. I just, for me, I just want it to return always to like a radical <laughs> part. You know, I really want to break some boundaries all the time. But, but I guess if you're always radical, it means you're struggling or fighting against something so, maybe. Yeah, I think on the online platforms for LGBT has be, have been really, really positive actually, especially for like young kids. Mm-hmm. I've noticed in schools, you know, they've they they know so much mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing. And I didn't know anything like that when mm-hmm. I was at school. Mm-hmm. And they're just they're so they know a wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I would say that there needs to be some what the job of schools actually to critically analyze mm-hmm. that knowledge because they just I mean I'm, I don't mean to be patronizing but a lot of kids just sort of take it in and there's sometimes not any critical engagement with what they're taking in a deeper understanding so they say with something like trans they do see it as very like you're a boy and then you're a girl mm-hmm. you know and it's there's a they, they see it very binary exactly and there's less focus on identity formation and fluidity and how actually everyone's identities are never static mm-hmm. as well and I think that sometimes online that gets lost from what I can gather from what the kids have picked up. But I also think that online it can also morph into like such beautiful and interesting forms of expression. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Mayo? What do you think the future holds in India? Also considering younger generations, it's quite interesting for me, like when you give context, because I'm from Zimbabwe Mm -hmm. and we're like, gosh, we're so much more behind when Mm -hmm. you're talking about LGBT and just also the tradition and that even if it's not widely accepted people do speak of a man having a man on the side or a woman being married to mm-hmm. the man on the side in Zimbabwe never uh, perhaps we don't have the proliferation of the internet and information yeah. in the same way but yeah what do you think the future holds now with the internet with mobile penetration maybe also outside of urban areas yeah. I will say like when um, I was looking at because I was here when the judgment came out and I remember in, in 2009 when we won the high court it was basically they were at the court there would have been like 50 of us I was 28 then and I was probably one of the youngest people there now I looked at the pictures it was amazing one thing that struck me was everyone was very young people were just in the, out of high school people were just in the first years of university another thing is that it wasn't purely English speaking which was very interesting to me like there were people who were speaking in different languages because English is a marker of certain social class mm-hmm. to, if you don't speak English that means you know usually you wouldn't belong to a certain higher class mm-hmm. but the fact that so many people weren't speaking English and were younger was, was just like eye-opening to me. Yeah. That says to me that yeah. probably the messages aren't just going through the formal channels Absolutely. or the former yeah. type of Absolutely. media. It's, you know, being yeah. passed through WhatsApp yeah. and other... There was this instance some years ago, basically in a TV channel in Andhra Pradesh, and they speak Telugu, the Telugu-speaking channel. They did a sting, quote-unquote, on gay hookups in Hyderabad. Um, and so they created a fake profile on this local cup site called Planet Romeo. And then they met, and met this person, they filmed it all. It was it was like mass hysteria. What was also interesting was that that, that point in time was the WhatsApp message that circulated. They kind of mobilized people against the channel. They were all locally produced. There was a national outrage. There was a national coordination. It was also interesting that there were people on the ground speaking back to the TV channel. So hopefully the future is bright. Let's do it that way. <laughs> cool. Great. Thank you so much. Um, a lot of really interesting insights. So if you want to continue the discussion, you can access the following resources, which will be available in the show notes on our website. You can read Mayo Sorrento 
controversial article from The Guardian on LGBT communities in India. This is the start of a new era for India's LGBT communities. On the recent passing of the Transgender Persons Protection of Rights Bill in India, read how trans and intersex Indians would suffer under a new discriminatory bill. That's on the website them. Tabitha recommends Judith Butler's article, The Backlash Against Gender Ideology Must Stop. And that's on the New Statements website. You can also visit the LGBT websites in India that Mayor mentioned. Those are Orinam, A Bombay and Good As You. You can find us online at www.soascodingclub.com and follow us on Facebook at Soas Coding Club, on Twitter at Soas Coding Club and join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag Global Digital Futures. We broadcast every two weeks so tune in to discover more about what's to come in your global digital future. Thank you. Bye. Bye.